Well, good morning. It's great to see you. Happy Resurrection Day. How many of you made it out to the sunrise service this morning? All right. Well, great. Welcome back for another gathering today. And for those of you that are here out for your first time today, welcome. It's so great to be together on this uh, special day. Of course, we have a few days throughout the year, don't we, that are real special days for us as Christians, as God's people. Uh, but this, to me, is, is the day. It's the, the greatest day in history. It's the day that death was defeated, and we gathered to reflect on that. And I want to remind you of a passage this morning, and we'll use that as our text. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. You don't have to turn there. You can if you'd like, but just real quickly... Paul says there that Jesus Christ abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I mean, think about that for a moment. Jesus Christ abolished death. And so that's what we want to focus on today, because that, of course, is what this day is all about. It's a day to remember that very fact. The prophet Isaiah refers to death as the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. And of course, we know that that is indeed the case. Death is that dreaded reality that every human being hopes to avoid, but never can escape. Death is man's perennial enemy and man's greatest fear. The New Testament letter to the Hebrews, we're told there that, that all men are, are subject throughout their entire life. They're in bondage to the fear of death. And that, that really is the experience of every person, regardless of, of, of culture, background, where they come from. That's the reality. But you see, here's what we need to understand. Death was never a part of God's original plan. God never intended death. Death uh, has, has come in as a result of something else. You know, oftentimes today people say, well, you know, if there's a good God, like you Christians say, and if God is a God of love and power and all that, you know, how come he lets all of these things happen, these horrible things? And, and why is there tragedy and suffering? And, and why is there death? Well, the Bible explains why there is death. Death came as a result of sin and our ongoing inability to accept death as just another part of the human experience is to me a strong indicator that the biblical explanation for death is the right explanation. I mean, think about it. We can't get used to this thing of death. It, we just can never settle with it. it, it it's, it's never a thing that, that we welcome. I mean, even under the worst circumstances, when somebody's you know, suffering and, and we know that death is the, the end of that suffering, but nevertheless, still, it, it's something that is difficult for us. No matter how young or old the person, no matter how sick or disabled, no matter how far removed we might be from a person, we know that we have 
that experience of, of pain in our heart when we hear of someone passing. Think about how you felt just a few weeks ago when, when you heard about those 100 people, 150 people that died in that, in that plane crash in France. Or how did you feel even this week when, when we, we got the news of those 147 young people who were gunned down on their college campus in Kenya? All of this is obviously so wrong. And, and of course, in both of these cases, murder was a factor uh, but nevertheless, even if the plane would have, would have just gone down because of mechanical difficulties or, or even if at the, the university there in, in Kenya, even if a building had collapsed and killed those 147 people, regardless of how they died, uh, when you hear that, you just say, no, no, that, that's not right. There's something about it that we, all of us, uh, sense is not right. And that's because it isn't right. You see, death is an intruder. Death is an invader. Death came as a result of sin. As I said a moment ago, it wasn't God's original intention. And it's not something that God was going to tolerate indefinitely. God had declared that there would come a time when he would deal. He himself would deal with death. Listen to what he said through the prophet. He said, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plague. O grave, I will be your destruction. And the fulfillment of that promise came 2,000 years ago on the day that we are remembering and celebrating today. It was there on that first Easter that God fulfilled that promise of destroying death. I entitled the message today, The Death of Death, because that's exactly what happened when Christ rose from the dead. And as Paul stated there, and I quoted it to you, that Jesus Christ abolished death and he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So let's look just at uh, those things that Paul said there. Jesus abolished death. I like that word abolished. It's a good word, but there's some great synonyms for it as well. Think of it. Eradicate, nullify, annihilate. I like this one, obliterate. Jesus Christ obliterated death. He annihilated it. He wiped it out. He abolished it. Jesus Christ abolished death. Do you remember those of you that are familiar with the gospel, uh, gospel accounts, do you remember that, that one uh, point there where uh, Jesus is with his disciples and they're, uh, they're at this place called Caesarea Philippi and Jesus is asking the question, you know, who, do, who do men say that I am and who do you say that I am? And it was there that Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. I'm paraphrasing, but he said, yes, you know, you're right, Simon. Uh, that, that's who I am. And, and then he said, and upon this rock, this confession of, of you are the Christ, upon this rock, I will build my church. And then he said this, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, that statement there, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A, a more literal translation is the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Or 
the gates of the grave or death shall not prevail against it. Oftentimes when we quote that verse or we apply that verse, we, we use it in reference to, you know, the devil, he's, he's trying to destroy the church, but he's never going to do it. The gates of hell are never going to prevail. That, that's really not the right interpretation. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't talking so much about the devil. He was talking about death. And you see what had happened to every person previously is that the gates of hell prevailed against them. The gates of death prevailed against them. They went down into the realm of death and then they were locked in by those gates. But Jesus came to burst those bands and to take those gates off their hinges so that his people would never again be held by death. And that passage that John read earlier from Acts, it says concerning Christ that uh, God raised him up because it wasn't possible that death could hold him. He abolished it. He obliterated it. I will build my church and the gates of the grave will not prevail against it. Now, somebody says, well, if this is true, why do we still die? I mean, you, you're, you're talking about, you know, death has been destroyed, but uh, maybe even you here today, maybe you have uh, experienced the, the death of uh, a friend or, or a loved one or uh, even more closely a family member. So you're wondering, well, wait a second, what is this? We're talking about the destruction of death, but yet how is it that we still die? Well, the reality is this, as believers in Jesus, we don't die. We don't. Jesus said it. He said, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. The problem is we have our definitions a little bit confused. You see, we need to operate from God's definition of death rather than from our own definition of death. Now, um, our definition of death, of course, is the separation of the spirit from the body. When somebody's spirit leaves the body, we say, well, that person has died. Well, that's true in one sense. It's true in the, in the physical sense, but we are more than just a physical being, right? You, you are a, a physical being. I am a physical being, but we are also spiritual. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we are body, soul, and spirit. So when we talk about death, we are almost exclusively always talking about the physical part of it. But you see, God's definition is different. God's definition of death is the separation of the spirit from the body. That's God's definition of, of, of death. The separation of, of the, I'm sorry, the spirit from God. The separation of the spirit from God. So when sin first entered into the world, God says prior to the introduction of sin, he gives man this, this one restriction. You can eat of all the trees of the garden, but the tree in the midst of the garden, you, you shall not eat of it for in the day that you do, you shall die. And so what happened? They ate the fruits. Eve ate the fruit. She gave to her husband, Adam. They ate the fruit together and they died immediately. That didn't manifest itself physically for many, many years, but they died immediately in that they were separated from God. The relationship spiritually was broken. So that's God's uh, definition 
of death, the spirit being separated from him. So Jesus said, whoever believes in me, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Meaning our our spirits will never be separated from him. If you believe in Jesus today, or if you have a loved one who has believed in Jesus and yet physically they've uh, expired or as we would say die, but note this, the New Testament writers don't use the word die to refer to Christians. They use the word sleep because Jesus said, you'll never die. So when, uh, when Paul or Peter or the other apostles are writing about what we commonly think of as death, they refer to it as sleep. The body goes to sleep in the earth. The spirit goes into God's presence. So you see, in the original order of things, spiritual death led ultimately to physical death. So in the new order, spiritual life, which we receive by putting our faith in Christ, spiritual life will lead ultimately to a new physical slash spiritual life. So as we put our trust in Christ, as you put your trust in Christ, that will lead ultimately to uh, a new physical life because there's a physical resurrection that takes place, but there's a combination then of a, of a spiritual life, a, a physical life that goes on indefinitely, that goes on eternally. And Paul put it like this in writing to the Corinthians. He said, when this corruption is put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So there's coming a day when this corruption, these decaying bodies are going to put on incorruption, when this mortal will put on immortality. And that's going to take place at the resurrection. So Jesus had a resurrection. And the Bible refers to Jesus in his resurrection, it refers to him as the first fruits. And the first fruits is, is a reference to um, when, when the people of God, the, the Israelites, when they would harvest, when they would have a harvest time, they would come with the, the very first part of the harvest and they would offer that before the Lord. But that, that very first part of the harvest called the first fruits, it was representative of the rest of the harvest. So all of the harvest was seen in the first fruits. So Paul refers to Jesus as the first fruits. So he's the one who rises from the dead first, and he's the one who then is representative of the rest of us. So essentially, his resurrection is the promise of our resurrection. Because he lives, as he said, you shall live also. So we have the resurrection. Christ began the resurrection on that first Easter day, but there's resurrection that's coming in the future. Those who sleep in Christ, they will be raised. You see, when a person falls asleep, the biblical term, or dies, our term, their body goes into the earth. But Again, the scripture refers to it here as those who sleep in Christ. But there will be a time 
And this always just absolutely blows my mind to think about it. There's going to be a time when all of the graves are opened and the bodies of those who have died in Christ are going to be raised up. Now, I don't know if, I don't know if you've ever thought about this at all, but every time you pass a cemetery, every time you walk through a cemetery, every time you see a, a picture of a cemetery, you know what a cemetery is? It's a monument to death. It shows the reign of death. But you know, one day, God's going to open those graves. He's going to open those graves. Talk about a mind-blowing moment when the graves are opened. And you know, when Jesus rose from the dead, it's interesting, uh, just reading through the gospel accounts again this week, uh, there's that really just sort of odd passage there in Matthew's gospel, where Matthew's describing Jesus dying on the cross and the, there's a great earthquake that takes place and the veil in the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. And, and it says, and many of the graves were opened. So it was there when Jesus was dying on the cross that many of the local graves in Jerusalem were opened. You know, the graves were a lot of times caves with a stone uh, placed over them. Some of them were actually uh, hewn out sepulchers like the, the, the tomb where Jesus was that had a stone rolled across it. But the point is that the graves were opened and three days later when Christ rose, some of the saints came out of those graves and they were walking in the streets of Jerusalem and they were recognized by people like, hey, wait, who, who, wait, I thought, those, I thought that person was dead. No, they were alive again. They were raised again. That's what's going to happen in the future. The graves are going to be opened. Those who sleep in Christ are going to be raised again. And then those who are Christ at his coming, that's a, a reference to those who are actually living at the return of Christ. So with the resurrection, Christ is the first. And then those who have fallen asleep in him, many millions of believers all throughout the centuries, they've, they've fallen asleep with him. Um, but there's gonna come a moment in time when those who are living See, this happens simultaneously. Those who are living are going to be instantaneously transformed. They're never going to experience death. Death is going to be seen as defeated because a whole generation doesn't experience death. We call this the rapture. And so at, at the moment that that happens, the dead in Christ, those who have fallen asleep, they're going to be raised as well. So this great resurrection is coming in the future. But somebody asked the question, well, what happens today when a believer in Jesus dies physically? Well, it's simple. Your spirit goes to the presence of the Lord and your body goes into the ground. And one day those two are going to be reunited. That's what's happening at the resurrection. The body and the spirit are united. And so Jesus Christ is the first fruits. He guarantees that we will also be raised. But Paul not only says that Jesus abolished death, he says that he has brought life and immortality to light. So let's look at both of those. He's first of all brought life. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, he, the, those who have put their faith in Christ, he said, you were dead 
in your trespasses and sins, but you have been made alive together in Christ. You see, Jesus came, died, rose again, not only so we could have a resurrection in the future, but he did that so we could experience life here and now. See, the problem that we have is that outside of Christ, we are presently dead. This is the problem. We're dead in trespasses and sins. We need a spiritual resurrection that precedes the physical resurrection that will come yet in the future. And when a person puts their faith in Christ, they, for the first time, come to life spiritually and they begin to experience what life is really all about. You know, the fact of the matter is this. Until you come to know Christ, you're not really alive. You're dead. You, you exist, but your life is primarily existing on the physical material plane. There's a whole other dimension. There's a whole other realm. It's the spiritual realm. And that's what Jesus came to bring us. He came to give us life and that more abundantly. He came to give us spiritual life. He came to give us a superior quality of life. What he came to give us is really, uh, it's the life of heaven on earth. One day we're all going to go to heaven. And then heaven and earth are going to merge together. We're going to be in both places as often as we would like to be. But you know, right now, today, you can live in heaven right here on earth. When you come to Christ, when you come into a relationship with him, when he comes and takes up residence in your life, that's heaven on earth. You experience uh, a, a bit of heaven on earth. It's a taste of heaven on earth. So he has brought life to light. But then Paul says that he has also brought immortality to light. So life is a reference to this quality of life. Immortality is more a reference to the, the, the quantity, the, the length of life. How many myths, legends, and stories have there been concerning immortality? How many of these things have, have built up over the centuries? You know, ancient myths talk about things like uh, the fountain of youth or, you know, the, uh, a spring of of water that will give a person eternal life. And man has been on this quest from the very beginning to try to overcome uh, things like the aging process and ultimately the dying process. But of course, it never works out. How many people have even spent fortunes trying to prevent um, the aging and ultimately the dying process to no avail. And if you want to do something that's kind of, well, I don't know what it is. It's kind of interesting. It's a little humorous. It's kind of scary. Just go on the internet and look at aging actors and actresses <laughs> and look at <laughs> their before and after photos. Uh, before they tried to make themselves look younger, and then after. They actually should have just forgot, they, they never should have gone through the process because they always look better before. The, all the attempts to keep yourself looking young and you know, all of the plastic surgery and all that, it, it doesn't go well, it doesn't work out well. It's, uh, you know, it's just 
there's a certain inevitability to this. We can't escape it. We can't avoid it. But Jesus has brought to light immortality. That's the good news. We don't have to go through all of that type of stuff that, that doesn't result in anything good or lasting. Jesus gives us immortality. Listen to what he said. He said, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. I love that. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of the grave and death. Jesus said, I have the keys. The, 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 the keys are symbolic of authority. Jesus Christ, the only person in history he said, who, who's ever said anything like this. He says, I have the keys of the grave and death. I have the authority over that. And he says it from the position of having been dead and now he's alive. He said similar things before he died, but this is a quote after he was risen. I am he who was dead and now I am alive forevermore. I have the authority over the grave and death. Listen to what John tells us in the book of Revelation. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. And listen, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death. You see, as I said earlier, death is an intruder. Death invaded. Death will not always be with us. Jesus conquered death. And he will ultimately display that victory over death when this is fulfilled. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Listen, you can you can go to every religion in the world. You can, you can undertake a study of every philosopher that ever lived, and you're never going to find a single person who's going to tell you how to beat death. And the person who's telling us is not just talking theoretically. This is the person who did it. You see, if we're going to take seriously somebody's perspective on, on their, their subject, we want to know, well, well, what's your authority? What, what is your, you know, what qualifies you to talk about this? So when, when you think about it, this, this thing called death, this, this inevitable thing that, that awaits every one of us, who can talk to us about this? Who can give us a, an authoritative word on this? Well, as far as I know, Jesus is the only one. Because he's the only one who died and came back to life by his own power, through his own authority. And so he speaks to us, not theoretically. He speaks to us as one who was dead and is alive forever and holds those keys of hell and death. Perhaps 
you read Emily Phillips' obituary. This thing has gone viral recently on the internet. Emily Phillips wrote her obituary after being diagnosed with terminal cancer. She was given just a few months to live. She was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so she decided she was going to write her own obituary. And I want to read just a few words to you from what she wrote. And I want to read them because what she says speaks for many, if not for most people. Here's what she said. This is what appeared in the obituary. It pains me to admit, but apparently I have passed away. Everyone told me it would happen one day. Listen, but that's simply not something I wanted to hear, much less experience. Boy, think about that. Isn't that so true? Most people don't want to think or hear about death, yet as certain as it is that you were born, you will die. We, we need to prepare for that inevitability. I was on the radio the other day with uh, Greg Laurie, and we were doing the Pastor's Perspective program, and it happened to be uh, the day of Greg's uh, son Christopher's 40th birthday. But Christopher was taken suddenly in a tragic accident seven years ago. As you know, some of you know that. And so we were having some conversation about that on the air. And, um, and you know, Greg said at one point, and I thought it was so absolutely right and, and accurate. He says, you know, uh, the, the, the skeptic, the critic of, of Christianity and so forth, you know, they accuse us of, of not dealing with reality. You know, you Christians, you have your head in the sand and so forth. No, I, I'm sorry. Uh, it's the opposite. No, men outside of Christ, they, they have their head in the sand. They're, they're pretending like they're never going to die. They're, they don't want to think about it. Oh, no, don't, don't talk to me about that. Oh, I don't want to hear that. Hey, it's inevitable. You can't escape it. And that's what Emily expressed. It's so true of all of us. At the end of her obituary, she said this. So I was born, I blinked, and it was over. Wow. I was born, I blinked, and it was over. This is the reality. Before we know it, it'll be over. It is amazing how fast life passes you by. And I'm not the first person that said this, and I certainly won't be the last person, but, you know, we all know. When you're young, you just think, never going to catch me. Death will never get me. I'm young. I'm strong. I'm, uh, you know, and that's just the farthest thing from your thinking. And that's true all the way up into, uh, you know, your, your late teens and through your 20s and even in your 30s. 
and probably still in your 40s, but I don't know, something happens when you kind of cross the 50-yard line there. <laughs> and you start, you know, those thoughts come a little more frequently. You're like, no, 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 get back. And then you're, you know, just slowly but surely, just things start breaking down. And you, you realize it, it is inevitable. Before we know it, we'll be standing on the threshold of eternity, ready to cross over. And listen, if we have not received Christ, we pass from spiritual death to eternal death. This is the very frightening but very real truth. If we have not received Christ, we live in death. And that death then becomes eternal once we leave this world. You see, I've got, I've got to have a new birth. I've got to have new life. But if I haven't received Christ, I pass from spiritual death into eternal death. Yet if we have received Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we pass from life... We already have that spiritual life, that, that new quality of life that I spoke about a moment ago. We pass from life to the fullness of eternal life. You see, we, we, we pass from seeing things dimly as through a glass to seeing them clearly. You know, again, as, as Greg and I were having that conversation on the radio the other day, uh, we were talking about how, you know, just... The question so often arises, well, you know, what's it like when you die? Or, you know, what's heaven like? And, and the Bible doesn't give us a, a whole lot of description about it. The Bible tells us a number of things. The Bible tells us it's an actual place that we will go. There's a city there. There are uh, multitudes of saints and angels and God's presence is there. And, and Jesus, our Savior, is there. And there, there's some descriptive uh, elements given to us in scripture. But a lot of that is just sort of kept hidden a little bit. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard. It hasn't even entered into the heart of a man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. I don't think we could handle it. But think about it like this. And this is something that we mentioned the other day. You know, think about the best things in life. Think about the best places in the world. Think about all of the beauty and the, the magnificence of creation and all of the wonderful, enjoyable things about life. Because even in a sin-cursed world, there's still many wonderful things about life, aren't there? Well, take all of those wonderful things and eliminate every negative thing there is. And then take those wonderful things and magnify them about a billion times over. And you might have a little bit of an idea of what heaven is going to be like. It's going to be amazing. And C.S. Lewis, I think, put it as he so often put many things so beautifully and so succinctly. He said this. He said, death opens the door out of a little dark room into a great real place where the true sun shines and we shall meet. I love that. Out of a little dark room, 
That's what this world is like in comparison. That's what our experience is like in comparison. Like we're in a little dark room. But one day that door opens and it opens into this great real place. It's a real place where the true sun shines, where there's no night. There, there's, no, there's no night. There's not even any sun, actually, because there's no need for the sun, because the Lord and the Lamb, they are the light of this place. And all of the, those wonderful things that we read about there in the final verses of the book of Revelation, that beautiful city, and there with God, and we shall meet, we shall gather. You know, it's such a comforting thing. It's such a a wonderful thing to know that because Christ lives, we shall live also. And those who have put their trust in him and yet have passed away, as we would say, or died, as we might say, but as the scripture says, they've fallen asleep. They're with the Lord now. And one day there's going to be this great reunion as we all gather together to be there forever in that glorious place with our Savior, Jesus, who died for our sins and rose for our justification and glorification. And as we close today, I would just uh, extend this word to you. Um, If you don't know Christ personally, you, you need to know him because he is the only one who can give you hope beyond the grave. He's the only one that can take you out of spiritual death and, and ultimately eternal death into spiritual life and ultimately into everlasting life. And God has made it so simple. He's made it as simple as us believing in his son, receiving him. But it's a personal thing. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. Your parents can't do it for you, your kids, whatever. It doesn't work that way. It's a personal thing. You must receive him as your Lord and Savior. But there's no greater Lord. There's no greater Savior. He conquered sin and death. And he rose the third day to prove that he is who he claimed to be. And everything he promised, everything he declared is true and will come to pass. So if you haven't received him today, open your heart and ask him to come in and to forgive your sins and to give you eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that these words are true and faithful. Jesus, that you did rise from the dead, that you conquered death, that you abolished it, that you obliterated it. And you've given us life, life here more abundantly, life of joy and peace and purpose. Oh, we thank you for that. And Lord, you've given us immortality that we will never die. We'll never die. We'll just transition out of this dark little room into that great real place where the sun forever shines, where we'll all meet. And while our heads are bowed right now in prayer, if you have never received Christ or maybe you 
Maybe you had known the Lord at one time in your life and yet you drifted. Maybe you've drifted far from him and you've come today because it's Easter. Maybe your family members wanted you to come and so you just broke down and came. But you know what? God wanted you to come today and he led you here today so you could hear once again about his victory over sin and death and about his grace that bids you to come and receive that life. So if that's you and you'd like to receive Christ today or receive him afresh into your life, would you just slip your hand up where you're at? I'm gonna lead you just in a quick prayer, a simple prayer. Anyone at all, just slip that hand up and we'll pray with you. And Jesus will come in. He'll do that work. Lord, we just thank you for those hearts that are open and sensitive and ready to receive. Lord, would you come in, meet them and do for them what they could never do for themselves. Give them, Lord, forgiveness of sins and the guarantee of heaven. And just ask Jesus now, Lord, forgive me I believe that you died in my place. Save me, Lord. I believe that you're living because you rose again. I give you my life today. Thank you for eternal life. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. God bless you today. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you'd like some encouragement, uh, we'd love to follow up with you. We have some Bibles. We just take a few minutes and talk with you of questions. We'll have a prayer team up front and over on my uh, left and your right, we have a prayer room back there. And if you have any questions or you'd like to know more about what it is to be a Christian, make your way over there and they will be happy to help you. May God bless you, give you a great day. A wonderful day as you go wherever you're going to go and with the folks that you're going to be with. And may you just find yourself rejoicing in this great truth that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. God bless.